This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. And we are in Isaiah chapter 41. It's page 601 in your pew Bible. Let's go ahead and start right there in chapter 41, looking at verse 10. One of the most precious scriptures in, or scripture verses in all of the Bible. The Lord says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. A number of years ago, I was uh, in a very difficult season of my life, feeling very challenged. I was finishing my master's degree, um, but as joyful as that was, on the other side, I was looking at a season of unemployment, not knowing what was after that. And this was also a time when my vocation and what I would be doing for the rest of my life was very uncertain. It was not clear. And so I was afraid. In fact, I was terrified. And as that day got closer and closer, my anxiety and fear grew. And a friend called me one day. We were talking on the phone, and I was explaining to him how I was feeling. And he said, Brett, what is the Lord saying to you? And I said, well, this is kind of embarrassing. It seems so simple and elementary, but I feel like what he's telling me to do is trust in him. My friend laughed at me. No, he didn't laugh at me, but he chuckled knowingly, a knowing chuckle. That's how it is. You could be following the Lord for 25 years, and as soon as a new challenge or a new trial hits, you're in battle, aren't you? Battle to believe and trust the Lord, who is saying, yes, even in this, you can trust me. But it's a battle because you've got the devil right there saying, no, you can't. And what good is prayer? You're all alone. It all depends on you, and you don't have what it takes. Isaiah was speaking to a very challenged Israel. At the time of his prophecy, the northern kingdom had already been destroyed and mostly sent off into exile, and the remaining southern kingdom was small, and its power was waning dramatically and quickly. And that was for Isaiah's contemporaries. Those who were reading his prophecies mere century later would be reading it from exile. Their homeland destroyed and everything gone behind them. Are you facing challenge today or this week? Well, I, I know you are because we face challenges of many kinds all the time. And maybe right now pressing upon you is a challenge in the home something in the family, maybe a challenge with friends or with roommates, might be a challenge at work or at school, it may be a challenge with your health or your finances or in your relationships, or it may be that you are a Christian in a hostile environment, or maybe the challenges are not external, they're internal. You feel like you fight every day just for mental health and stability to stave off depression, or to hold on spiritually to your faith. And for some of you today, right now, you are in the middle of one of the greatest, if not the greatest challenges that you will face in your life. It will mark your life. And that challenge right now is dominating your entire life. There are so many challenges that we face every day and every week. And let me just say a quick aside. I think it's one of the distractions of the devil that he loves for us to compare ourselves to each other whose challenges are harder. 
How's your life compared to mine? Like there's some secret competition about who has the hardest life. Well, that's, first of all, there's no competition that exists, and there's certainly no prize if, if that is you. And instead, the posture that we ought to have as brothers and sisters in Jesus is, I know you're facing trials. And I bet that's daunting for you. I will pray for you courage and that you will succeed in what you're facing. It may look small or it may look big to me, but I know that to you it's daunting. I pray for you that you will have courage and that you'll succeed. That's our posture as brothers and sisters. Well, so we face many challenges. Some people like challenges. I have a friend who's always up for a good challenge, and I always try to tell him he's wrong. And I'm unashamed to say I don't like challenges. One of the things I am excited about and hoping for when I think about heaven is that the kind of challenges I'm talking about, we're talking about this morning, the ones that weigh you down and cause fear and anxiety, they will not be there. That will not be a part of the life to come. Praise the Lord. That's what he's calling us to and inviting us into. That's our hope. But I've also matured enough to realize and to accept the fact that there will be challenges in this life, and it's best to face them head on. It does no good to wish that they weren't there. When Adam and Eve left the garden, after the fall, God said, now there will be thorns and thistles frustrating your way, and so it is. But the courage that we need to face those challenges head on, challenges especially that feel bigger than we can handle, that courage comes when we remember that God is actually bigger than our problems. God is with us, and he will help us. This was Isaiah's message in chapter 41 to a people faced with severe challenges and challenges that would not let up for a couple centuries. They needed to hear that God was bigger than the challenges facing them and that despite all appearances to the contrary, God was with them and he would help them. They needed to hear that. And so do you and I today. So let's take a closer look at Isaiah, how he develops this point. How is it that God is bigger than our problems? How is it that God is with us and will help us? So the first thing Isaiah wants to say, have courage because God is bigger than your problems. Take a look at verse 1. Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach. Let them speak. Let us draw near together for judgment. So in order to convey this message to the people, Isaiah creatively is imagining a courtroom scene where there are three parties. There's God, who is both judge and defender. There is Israel, who is the defendant, small and puny. And then there are, the third party is the nations. So when it says, draw near coastlands, coastlands is a euphemism. It's meaning all the nations of the earth, even and including the farthest coastlands. So God is calling them to the judgment scene. He say, listen, because I'm going to speak first. Then gather your strength, make your case. Later on, he says, tell one another to be strong. Call out to the idols that you have, a little bit reminiscent of Elijah on Mount Carmel. Let's have a showdown. Make your case, and we'll see how it holds up against mine. That's what verse 1 is saying. It's preparing the way. This is the courtroom. There are proceedings about to happen. So the coastlands or the nations, they are many, 
and they are stronger than Israel. Compared with them, Israel is a worm. Like I said, waning in power, about to be in exile. So look at verse 14. God says, he's trying to encourage them. He says, fear not, you worm, Jacob. Now, if I called you a worm, you would rightly be insulted. God is not trying to insult his people. What is he saying? Well, the worm is small and powerless. When I think about the fierce predators of all the creatures of the earth, worm is not on the top five. Okay, they don't have teeth. They don't even have arms or claws. They just wiggle and digest things. They can't even bite you. So God is saying, Israel, you are small and helpless. He's naming their state. But into that reality, he speaks, and he begins to make his case, and he says to the nations, though Israel is a worm, small and helpless, I am on Israel's side, and I am no worm. It's like when you're at the park and the bully begins to pick on you. And right as your life is about to flash before your eyes, your older brother shows up. And all of a sudden, the big bully doesn't look so big anymore. God shows up, and he's to put the, the nations in their place. So look at verses 2 through 4. God speaks to the nations, and he asks, Who stirred up one from the east, whom victory meets at every step? He, God, gives up nations before him, this ruler, so that he, the ruler, tramples kings underfoot. He makes the dust uh, fly with his sword. He drives them like stubble before his bow. He's describing a leader who will rise up and conquer the nations. Most recent scholars say this is referring to Cyrus, king of Persia, who in two centuries' time would rise swiftly. His victory over the nations would also be swift. And he would be the one to send the Jews back to the land to restore their land. The church fathers looked at this and they said, oh, well, it's referring to the Messiah, of course. And as good Anglicans, we say, eh, it's both. Okay? In the near term, it may be referring to Cyrus and his quick ascension and his victory. In the long term, of course, referring to the Messiah who is Lord over the nations and will be victorious at the end. But the point of this is in verse 2, he's asking the question, who is doing this? Who's stirring up this leader? And at the end of verse 4, he answers, Who's performed and done this? Who's, who's calling the generations from the beginning? He says, I, the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am he. Do you hear echoes of Alpha and Omega, beginning and end? I am the one who's doing this. It's not the powerful rulers of the world. The mighty ones of the earth are simply my instruments. I raise them up. I accomplish my purposes. I put them down. I am the one stirring them up. And in the end of the chapter, a part we didn't read, he comes back to this theme. He echoes it again, and he says, and who stirs up the one from the north to trample upon the nations, breaking them as clay pots? It is I, the Lord, who does this. The mighty ones of the earth are merely puppets, instruments for my purposes. So God is not only making his case that he's God over the nations, they may seem big and scary to Israel, but actually he's bigger and stronger than them. But he also says, I'm the God over time as well. The first and the last, I am he. Or again, later in the chapter, a part we didn't read, he's saying to the nations, all right, make your case. And if you can, tell us about the former things. Tell us about far past history, which lies in the dust that is inaccessible to you that they don't know about. No, they can't do that. He says, tell us about the future. 
Tell us what is to be, the end from the beginning, if you can, and they can't. He says, but I can, and I do. I'm God over the nations. I have the power over history, past and future. And through this, Isaiah is saying to the people of God, God is bigger than the nations. He's bigger than the challenges that seem so daunting to you now. And I say to you this morning, God is bigger than the challenges that feel so daunting to you right now. The things that feel impossible. He is bigger. He is stronger. He's stronger than your boss. He's stronger than that project. He's stronger than the illness or the depression or the failed relationship or whatever those challenges might be. He's bigger. He's stronger. Now look at verse 11 and 12. God's now speaking to Israel. He says, Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you. You shall not find. You'll look for them. They won't be there. I will have taken care of them. You, small worm, Israel, you will endure. You will outlast the nations around you. You will outlast those who are attacking you now because I am with you. And for us, these verses are especially true when we look at them from the eternal perspective of the coming kingdom. None of the problems that you are facing now, whatever the list might be that you draw up, none of those will last forever. But you will last forever. You will live forever. Those who trust in Jesus will live forever, and you will outlive and outlast these problems and these challenges that do feel so daunting to you now. And by the way, God is still bigger than the nations, even today. So when we consider the war in Ukraine and Russia in Ukraine, when we get scared seeing China rising and threatening over Taiwan, and we say, what is about to happen? Know that even as it was two and a half millennia ago, so it is today that the Lord is in control of the nations. And we ask, well, why does he allow war then? Well, we, we don't know all of his purposes. We can't answer all those mysteries, but we know that even in the nations, in the rising up of some and the putting down of others, he is at work. And even in the nations today, he is accomplishing his purposes. But even more than that, on the ground and in the midst of those who struggle, those who are crying out to him for help, he is there to help them. He is there. And at the end, it's only a matter of time before there will be no Russia, there will be no Ukraine, there will be no China, no Taiwan, there will be no United States of America. There will be only the kingdom of our God and of his Messiah. So Isaiah says to the people, have courage because God is bigger than the challenges that are facing you. As big as they feel, God is bigger still. And secondly, he's on your side. He's with you. Let's read verse 10 again. The Lord says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will hold you with my righteous right hand. I will uphold you. I will help you. Or turn now to 17 and 18, verses 17 and 18. Beautiful imagery here of water in the desert. 
says, when the poor and needy seek water and there is none, and the tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. These are allusions to the wandering in the wilderness when God did those things. He made water in the desert. But pay attention especially to the end of verse 17. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I am with you now, and I will never forsake you in the future. I am with you always. So after he speaks first to the nations and puts them in their place, now he speaks to his people Israel. Look at verse 8. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, offspring of Abraham, my friend. These are precious names. God begins by naming his people bringing them back to their true identity, as he does for you and me. When we get off center, when we forget, he calls you by name. You are my son. You are my daughter. Do you know that the book of Revelation says you have a name in heaven waiting for you that is your name alone among all the peoples of the earth? He calls your name. He identifies you as belonging to him. Then verse 9 He begins to tell the people their origin story. Remember, with Abraham, I took him from the ends of the earth, called him from the farthest corners. I said, you're my servant. I've chosen you and not cast you off. He begins to tell them their story. So it's birthday month in the Kroll household. We have five children, and believe it or not, all five of them are born in August. Now, I know what you're thinking and what you want to say, but I have an explanation for this, but I'm not going to give it to you now. But every, every birthday at dinner time, we go around and we say to the person, I love you because, and we name one attribute we love about them. And then I tell the story of when they were born every year. And year after year, it never gets old to tell them their birth story, their origin story, to tell them you were brought into a family that loves you. You've been loved from the beginning. And we are so excited for you to come. So Isaiah is saying, remember Jacob. Remember Abraham. Remember what God did for them when they were small and few in number, surrounded by nations then, as you are now. And what did he do? He protected them. He prospered them. He brought them through and eventually gave them the land that he had promised. He came through. He did miracles on their behalf. And again, verse 17 and 18, these allusions to the water and the desert. I provided for my people in the wilderness. This will also evoke for the Israelites the slavery in Egypt from which he rescued them. And again, we ask the question, but why, Lord? Why was there slavery? And why for 400 years? And you know what? God does not answer that question. He does not tell us why they went into slavery or why for 400 years. He does not answer every one of our questions. And he owes us no explanation. But he says to his people, I was with you that whole time. I never forgot my promises. And when it was the appointed time to deliver you, I raised you up, I delivered you, I cared for you in the wilderness. So Isaiah is saying to the people of Israel, look, he's already done it. He will do it again. What he's done before, he rescued you from Egypt, he will rescue you from the far lands in the the time of exile. What he's done before, he will do it again. What he's done before, he will do it again. I'm with you, says the Lord. I will never forsake you. And to prove it, just look back on your story. 
And for us as Christians, we add to this the cross and the empty tomb. Oh, Jesus was bigger than leprosy, wasn't he? Jesus was bigger than paralysis. Jesus was bigger than every demon that held captive the people he had come to set free. He was bigger than the problems that he faced. And even so, Jesus made himself a worm, small, powerless on the cross, with the tauntings of the nations, the mocking, the derision, the scorn, even with the leaders of his people, he was scorned as a worm on the cross. You know, he quoted Psalm 22, and in Psalm 22, I am a worm and no man. Jesus said, I've become a worm. God has become a worm and died and rose victorious again over all the enemies, especially sin and death and hell. He rose victorious for you. He did that for you. Look to your past. Look to the story that's already been written. What he's done before, he will do again. God is with his people always. He's with you today. He calls you chosen. He calls you servant. He calls you friend. Paul knows this. And in a beautiful passage at the beginning of Ephesians, listen to the echo of these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So Paul is saying, look, you were chosen before the creation of the world. You were chosen by God, and his plan all along was to adopt you and bring you into his eternal family. And why did he do that? Because he loves you, and nothing can separate you from his love. But we might wonder, well, what if I don't feel his love? What if I, this I am with you presence, what if I don't feel that or sense that or experience that? But we don't always. And we are so used to grounding all of our sense of reality based on our feelings and our current experience that it's difficult for us to understand reality that is beyond our feelings and deeper than our current experience. Now, experiencing and feeling God's presence is a wonderful gift when it comes. And indeed, in the life to come, in heaven, we will be experiencing the joy of the presence of the Lord. We will be feeling that all the time, not waxing and waning, but overflowing and constant unending. So we know that's the end he's calling us to, is the experience and the feeling of joy. But in this life, we don't always feel it or experience it. But no. Whether you feel it or not, God says, I am with you, and I will not forsake you. So Isaiah says, have courage, because God is bigger than your problems. He is with you. And lastly, Isaiah says, he will help you. I think most of us feel that we could endure much as long as we don't have to endure it alone. And how much greater if the one journeying with us in our challenge is the God of the universe. So that presence is such a precious gift to us. But here God is saying, I will give you my presence and more. Not just my presence, but also my power. I'm not just going to sit and hold your hand in the difficulty. I'm going to take you by the hand and lift you out of it. So again, verse 10, 
Fear not, I'm with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And two more times in verse 13 and 14, again, he says, I will help you. I will help you. I am the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I will help you. He strengthens. He upholds us. And one of our favorite names for Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God what? God with us. One of the names of the Holy Spirit is the Helper. And the Holy Spirit has been given to you. If you believe in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit, the very power of God. The help that comes from the Holy Spirit is good help because there is nothing that is impossible with him. And that is the help that you have access to. So earlier I mentioned that God is even in the midst of war zones to help. Julie's reading this book called Women Who Risk. It's a story about Muslim women who are coming to Jesus. Uh, the story I'm going to tell, it was the, the husband who came first and then his wife later. Um, but in this story, which takes place in Syria during the civil war from a decade ago, there was a man who had been seeing Jesus in his dreams. Then later in his life, uh, just in that same season, he, he was caught in a battle, and to take shelter, he went into a, a blown-up building where the basement was still preserved. But under there, because of the rubble and the fighting, he, along with a few dozen other people, were trapped for days and days and days. And after they ran out of food and water, this man one day looked over at a small little window that was a basement window. It was the tiniest little access to the outside. And there appeared the man he'd been seeing in his dreams. Jesus showed up. And he had bread and he had water. Not figuratively, but real bread and real water. Manna from heaven. And with that, the people who were trapped ate and were sustained until they could get out. Isn't that remarkable? And I believe that story is true. Absolutely. Jesus can do that. But you might be thinking, well, sure, he'll help somebody in a desperate situation over there. But I don't deserve that kind of help. And I would say to you, is the arm of the Lord too short? Is he only able to help those who are really in desperate situations, but he, he's not strong enough to help you? Or maybe the better question to ask is, is the love of God too short that he can only love that person over there, but he does not have enough to love to care for you? No, that is not the love of God that I know. His love is without limit. It is unending. His love is there for you to help you, to strengthen you. So even though we often feel small and powerless, we have reason for hope. We have reason for courage. Yet so often we're in despair because, like I said at the beginning, it's a battle. This is a battle. And the devil loves to come right at those moments when everything seems lost. And when you're saying, well, I know the Bible says this, and I know a tall, skinny guy up there says this, but what I'm experiencing is everything to the contrary. That's when the devil loves to come. And despair is his most potent weapon because it comes right at the heart of your relationship to God, which is your faith. Despair. There is no way. God has forsaken me. Not this time. He can't help or he won't. 
But as soon as the devil is there whispering, give up, God has, God is there saying, courage, and do not be afraid. Courage and fear not. So as we come to the end, as you face those challenges that feel too big for you, remember Isaiah's message that God is bigger than your problems. He is with you, and he will help you. So do not be afraid and put your trust in him. And we say, but I don't like it when God says, don't be afraid, because I'm always afraid. Well, the Lord knows that. He's always saying, don't be afraid when there's something to be afraid about. And he actually is not chastising you for being afraid, but he is saying, okay, I know that you're afraid. Come out of that fear. How do we do that? By choosing to trust. We choose to place our trust in the Lord. Like that Psalm 56, when I am afraid, I will trust in him. It's not when we feel like it. It's not when it's natural. It's when we say, I'm facing a challenge that's too big for me. I will choose to trust in the Lord and believe he's bigger He's with me, and he will help. Or like that song we sing, Yes and Amen, where the first line of the bridge is, and when I am fearful, I won't be afraid. That's not nonsense. That's exactly how it works. I'll I'll end with this story. Uh, I got to hear from a wonderful uh, Christian leader, a woman named Judith McNutt, who's in the healing ministry. The full story is much better than I can give you right now, but essentially when she was a young woman, and her ministry was growing. She was a psychologist. And one day, into her room came, sitting on the couch, a warlock, which is a male witch. He'd been sent there, and his message to her was, I'm here to destroy you and everything you're doing. And she said, okay, I'll be back in just a minute. She exited and went and talked to her secretary, who was this wonderful woman of God who typed with one finger at a time. And the secretary just said, I know. I know what's going on. You'll be fine. Just go back in there. She goes back into the room, and she looks this guy straight in the the eye, and she says, the one I serve is stronger than the one that you serve, and I am not afraid of you. And when she tells the story, she says, I was lying because I was so afraid. But that's how it works. I'm so afraid. But with my lips, I choose to declare, I will not be afraid. I've put my trust in the one who's bigger and stronger than you. And at that moment, the Lord gave some kind of vision. He revealed himself. She believes that St. Michael the Archangel showed up, and this guy freaked out and ran screaming from the office. So when you feel this, amen. (laughs) When you feel that despair crouching in, pray, pray, pray. Stop whatever you're doing. If you're in the middle of the workday, that's when we feel despair almost the most. Whenever you feel that despair creeping in, stop and pray and say, Jesus, I trust you. And Jesus, I know you're bigger than fill in the blank. Name the challenge. You got to name it. You got to be specific. And I believe that you are with me. And I believe that you will help me. Final thing, those of you who are in that trial that is the trial of your life. It's not everybody here today, but some of you. I want you to do one thing extra. Get two to four friends who you know will do this. Ask them to pray every day for the next two weeks. To pray in faith and just let's see what happens, all right? And if you're on the receiving end, write it in your prayer journal, put a sticky note on your mirror, whatever you need to do to remember to pray. Pray every day and all throughout the day for that challenge for your friend. Just do it for two weeks and let's see what the Lord does, okay? 
So Lord, we invite you now as we continue through our service, we praise you that you are the helper, that you are stronger than whatever we're facing in our lives right now. Lord, it's good to be reminded of these truths, but we want more than that. We want your Holy Spirit to come in power now to help, to strengthen, even if simply to strengthen us in faith to believe these promises. But Lord, if there's freedom that you want to give this morning, if there is an unleashing that you want to give, if there's an opening of prison doors, any kind of tangible strength or change in the life circumstances of people in this room, your people, then we don't want to get in the way. And we say, come, Lord Jesus, and minister your power in the lives of those who cry out to you and call upon you. Thank you, Jesus. We wait for you, and we trust in you. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.